It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, I think it's been nearly every day this week going through the papers. It's just looking and um, journalists reporting on what is happening within our health service and in the main what is happening at all of our acute hospitals. And of course, many patients now are loved ones who have patients who are waiting on a trolley, starting to tell their stories. And some of the stories are absolutely uh, heartbreaking. And certainly yesterday and the day before when we were giving the advice from the HSC that you know your very last port of call should be the accident and emergency department unless you are a family member or a loved one uh, is extremely unwell and they're saying to us all you know to look for alternative medical help to go to places like your community pharmacist to contact your GP to go to your GP out of hours uh, service and uh, you know the local injuries clinic to go a- everywhere except go along to your A&E department but when we were talking about uh, the GP service and we had a GP John Sheehan uh, join us yesterday on the programme that led to some people saying you know that they were having difficulty they're getting through to their own GP and others were saying that they were having difficulty getting through to the out of hours service because the out of hours services what we have in this area South Dock is simply uh, swamped and I was reading in the paper this morning that the mid West Regional, they're out of our GP service. It's called Shannon Dock. It's the, it's the same as our South Dock, except it's Shannon Dock in that area. They have warned that callers to their switchboard will struggle to access phone lines at peak times because they are simply dealing with an unprecedented volume of calls. And I imagine the out of hours GP services all over the country are saying the very same thing. It's just an unprecedented level of uh, calls because we've got all of our hospitals battling with patients and they're the overcrowding at our A&E departments. We've got GPs, as we heard from um, Dr. John yesterday, dealing with a patient surge and that's due to COVID-19, this RSV virus and obviously flu. There's a large amount of flu out there at the moment. So Shannon Dock revealed that in just one day last week, this would have been between Christmas and New Year, they received over 12,500 inbound calls that was in just one day and they said that one day of calls was a- equivalent to a month of calls that they would normally receive. They said during peak times 
It dealt with approximately one patient every minute. The out-of-hour service, they say, managed to provide 40% more GP appointments when compared to this time last year, with a significant proportion uh, of patients presenting with these respiratory illnesses. There's just so many different respiratory illnesses out there at the moment. They said it had tried to prepare. They knew they were going to have um, a, a surge in calls. So what they did was they rostered on more doctors than they would have had on over Christmas on previous years. And they put in a 30% increase in medical manpower on uh, duty. But they say this year's patient surge simply unprecedented with patient volumes contacting the service amounting to almost three times more than uh, what they had taken in last year. So even with allowing and putting rostering on extra doctors, there still wasn't enough to answer all of the calls. And when you hear of patients relaying and telling their stories and uh, telling what happened to them while they were in an accident and emergency department, all bar none will talk about how hard the staff are working and that they are literally run off their feet and uh, there's a a piece from Neve Griffin in the examiner uh, today talking about how many of our nurses are emotionally and physically exhausted and the Irish nurses and midwives organisation have come out and say that they are getting a volume of calls from upset members, nurses simply trying to cope with the growing pressure and the Irish nurses and midwives organisations you know making the point that nobody is programmed to work in the type of environment that our nurses and doctors are being asked to work in nobody's programmed to work in that all of the time now they accept that maybe one or two of your shifts might be busy and that's okay and you'll get through that you'll know well look when I come back tomorrow when I come back next week it won't be as busy but they say what's happening at the moment is it's all of the time it's every single shift that they're heading in into and they just said no Nobody's programmed to deal with that type of work. And I did hear one uh, lady who was on a hospital trolley for something like 20 hours and she'd broken both of her hands. So she was really very incapacitated and she was desperately trying to get help from one of the nurses that was in the accident and emergency uh, department. And she eventually managed to sort of get the eye and attention of one of the nurses. And she was sort of saying to the nurse, uh, you know, how would you feel if I was your mother? Would you leave your mother in this condition? for 20 hours with nobody coming to help her she she wanted a drink of water the poor woman and she said the nurse broke down in tears and walked away now she came back a few minutes uh, later and said look I'm sorry you know I didn't mean and the patient the elderly lady was saying look I'm sorry if I upset you but she said you know I'm so desperate for a little bit of help and the nurse said I am simply exhausted I am simply exhausted and this one woman begging her for help just sort of pushed her over the limit and uh, she just had to go away you know somewhere quiet for a few minutes have a little bit of a cry and then uh, come back but the Irish nurses and medical organisations are saying that you can have three nurses trying to cope with and look after 70 patients and the INMO are saying that that's not unusual everywhere now it's actually become common most nurses will say in an accident emergency department when they're absolutely working at over 100% capacity that that's what can happen. Three nurses looking after 70 patients. The INMO said it is not possible to give care to that volume of, of people. The ratio one would expect is that you would a one nurse shouldn't have more than seven patients in their care on a general ward. 
change and they say anything above safe is demonstrated to be unsafe. And of course, national trolley figures counted by the INMO and they do that every every day. We did mention this yesterday. It did drop to 838 yesterday. That was from the record peak of 931 the day before. But that number, even yesterday's number of 838, is still far higher than what it would have been in previous Januaries last year, the year before, or any of the other, when we always have a high number on, on trolley figures. And normally what happens is the the Irish Nurses and Midwife Organisation, they released their figures from the previous day uh, in the morning, it's usually about 12 o'clock. Um, so uh, John Paul will keep an eye out for them and will bring you the figures of what were, were the official figures for uh, yesterday. And once again, of course, when the figures got revealed yesterday, it was University Hospital Limerick was again the worst in the country. They had 76 people uh, waiting on trolleys uh, yesterday and you know people are saying is the end in sight you know now that we've come over the Christmas and New Year uh, period will we get back to some kind of normality it seems we're not going to get back to some kind of normality in our hospitals anytime soon because they're bracing for a further surge in patients and health experts are warning that the flu season and it is a really really nasty flu that's out there this year it has yet to reach its uh, peak with the emergency departments already under significant pressure and of course the majority of schools are all reopening today with parents being warned to please keep your child at home if they're displaying any flu-like symptoms. Patients hospitalised with COVID, now they've remained high but they are relatively stable so that's good news and there's also of course a number of cases of the RSV uh, virus uh, they, there's a number of those in hospital but it's the flu cases that are much higher than have been on previous years and health officials are saying that the flu figures have not yet peaked and I'll just give you an example of some of the flu figures up to Christmas week there was 2,331 laboratory confirmed cases of flu and that is a stark increase of 1,000 more cases than the same period in 2019 because we can't compare flu figures for the last two years because of COVID and because people were isolated and we were all staying away from each other. We didn't have a flu season for the last two years and we were all wearing masks and there was cough etiquette and all of that going on. So we knew that this you know, flu season, if you're going to do any kind of comparisons, you're going to have to look back to the last flu season, which was uh, 2019. So we're up a thousand cases and that was up to the week before Christmas. That number has gone even higher. Now, the chief medical officer, Breathe Smith, she said the reopening of the schools and childcare facilities today, that is going to create an environment for increased respiratory virus transmission. So she was the one that came out yesterday and said, if your child has any new onset flu-like symptoms, now that can be anything from congestion to a cough to a runny nose or obviously any kind of a high temperature, parents, they, they say, should continue to be mindful of others and if possible, keep your child at home, uh, away from school and away from childcare facilities. There's also been a significant increase in the number of older patients who are attending the emergency departments. And that was uh, one of the messages that the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, brought to the cabinet yesterday. They're saying that the average wait time for patients who attend emergency departments last week was more than eight hours. And I think if you got in and out in eight hours, you probably were patting your yourself on the back and thinking you've done well because we've heard of people for uh, for spending more than a day on a trolley waiting to be uh, admitted but I suppose the eight hours were the people who got seen to 
didn't need to be hospitalised and then at least could leave the emergency department and go home themselves to recover. Now our Minister for Health, Minister Donnelly, said the HSC was going to call on senior medical staff such as consultants to come in on weekends and they're asking them to do it for the next few weeks and they're hoping that that will help to alleviate the current situation. So while Minister Donnelly was saying that, I did see that the Irish Hospital Consultants Associations has said the consultants are already on call at 24-7. They're already practising over and above uh, the recommended levels. But the big warning coming out now is that up to a thousand patients could end up on trolleys. We have that record figure from this week of 931. But they're saying in a single day over the next week or two, we could reach a thousand patients waiting on a trolley uh, to get a bed. The problem is, this is coming from the Irish Medical Organisation, they say the problem is not the commitment of the medical workforce in terms of meeting patient need. They say the core issue is the lack of physical capacity in terms of bed and there is also a chronic shortage on the number of consultants are available. We uh, currently have over 900 vacant consultant posts in this country and all of the health experts are saying that we have a bed capacity uh, of about 5,000 beds below what is required for the current population. And we were only talking about, you know, the current figures from the Central Statistics Office, you know, showing that our with the figures on the, the population figures of this country are have never been as high since famine times and we're over five million. But the number and so, you know, if we have a, an increasing population the knock-on effect is we're going to have an increase in the number of people who are going to need hospital hospital beds because people are going to get sick every single year. But we're not increasing the beds required for our population base. The Irish Medical Organisation says the public health services, they're in this endless cycle of crisis. They say it's due to insufficient capital investment and the inability to retain and recruit medical staff. And that's, you know, and it isn't, let's be honest, this isn't a new problem. The lack of beds and the lack of workforce planning, that's been evident for over a decade. I've certainly done countless interviews over the last uh, 10 years from medical professionals who were saying, you know, people are retiring, uh, they need to be replaced, they're not being replaced. We know there's a crisis with the GP uh, practices, there isn't enough young doctors coming up. And add to that, we have doctors and nurses who are feeling overwhelmed, they're at burnout, working in our system, and then they're getting offers from abroad. Come to Australia, you know, uh, come, uh, you know, come to Dubai uh, where you'll get looked after much better. You'll get paid better and we'll ask you to work less hours and you'll have less patients to look after. So you can understand why so many of our young medical professionals are leaving this country to go abroad. We've all, I mean, the, you know, there's always been uh, a percentage of people will go abroad for a period of time. But I think the numbers that are leaving now a number of them are going because they're just feeling so overwhelmed working in our health service. You can see a number of people when I was talking about the increase in uh, uh, COVID and flu and RSV and again whenever I mention it people are saying bring back the masks but that doesn't sit well with everyone and remember the wearing of masks is an individual. It's up to individuals if you feel more comfortable wearing your mask then please wear your mask. Okay we're going to take a break and we are back talking about concerns that some people have in Clonakilty. Court today on 
on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Yesterday we had some calls from people in the Clonakilty area and we are still receiving some more uh, interaction this morning. These are people who are concerned to hear that some of the men who were involved in what's been described as a serious public order incident at a direct provision centre in Killarney are to be relocated to a Garda approved address in Clonakilty while the District Court awaits instructions from the DPP. West Cork Independent Dáil Deputy Michael Collins has slams the decision and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Um, OK, firstly, how did you hear that some of those involved um, while out on bail would be rehoused in Clonakilty? Well, I, I got calls from reporters as well as media reports, you know, um, after the, the case being, being heard on, on Monday. And it's quite serious. Like, Gardy have called this what, what went on in, in the Killarney Park Hotel as a, as a major violent incident. Uh, obviously, I don't know. Um, are, uh, all we do know is that the people involved um, have been uh, bailed. Also, one, one has been detained. Um, and uh, I suppose there's a case uh, coming up. My concerns are that if if it wasn't, I suppose, uh, surely be to God, if a person is being detained and is being charged and is being bailed uh, pending a case, uh, that they should at least be detained in, in, in whatever uh, prison services we have until either found guilty or not guilty. If guilty, obviously, my view is they should be immediately deported. Uh, if found not guilty, obviously, uh, sent back to Killarney because they're innocent. But the problem here is, uh, that it looks like they've been bailed uh, seven out of uh, eight of them, and some of them have moved to different uh, different areas in Clare, Leash, Loud, and in Clannock um, And do and do you know? Um, I mean, where this Garda-approved address in Clannock is? Well, I've been told it's Clannock Lodge, uh, Derek Virgin, but that's only picking up on media reports. I honestly haven't been told direct by anybody. I have contacted Minister Garman because I think this practice is shocking. To be quite honest with you, that if people are even uh, you know that there's a suspicion of of they being involved in these major violent incidents that they're not being at least detained until found either innocent or guilty and not moved uh, kicking the can down the road moving them into another community we can't or i can't for and for the life of me and the courts can't and the courts on the, on the day the court case took place um patricia the court and the law of the land clearly stated they have no history on any of these uh, people that took part in these uh, violence in- incidents. The only uh, proof of as to who they are and what they are is that if they came through France, the French uh, authorities do have documentation on each and every individual. And that's something I think that the Irish government has to sit up and take very, very serious uh, serious issue. I have serious issue with this, that we have no paperwork on anybody that comes into our country. Some of them are brilliant and lovely people and innocent people. More are not. And now we find out who are not and who aren't. And you can't just scatter them around here and there, whether it's in County Clare or whether it's in County Kilty, because the people are worried and concerned, and they have genuine worries and concerns. And I wouldn't like to vote for anyone, regardless, and I wouldn't like to maybe pinpoint uh, an individual as being guilty either, until they have a case. But certainly there was a very serious incident in Canary where people could have been killed, and people there was serious injury done to some people. But I, but, but, but I know that there is to be strict bail conditions. For example, there's a curfew, 10pm to 8am, and they can't change address without informing the guardie. Do you take any comfort from any of that? Well, what I can't understand is it's safe to be bailed to Clarny Kilty. Surely, be to God, it should be safe to be bailed to Clarny, as to where they were. Uh, and obviously, it isn't. So there's some issue there. 
that we're not aware of. And to be honest with you, there's, and I've spoken to the people in Kerry, and I've spoken to the people in the surrounds of this hotel, there's a reign of terror in the surrounds of that same hotel for months. That's not just going on this past weekend. It just spilled over this past weekend, and they decided to fight with each other. But the reign of terror is big to the local people, because people have told me people that used to walk to work there quite happily before and, and after are, haven't been able to do that. They've been picking up taxis to go small journeys to go and come from past that hotel because they're terrified. So there is an issue there, um, yeah, and, and that, that's not always the same in every... Uh, Direct provision, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's been many, there's direct provision centres all over the country and people have integrated into the local community very, very successfully. But but I think the issue with Killarney is the numbers of, and in particular, single men that have been placed in Killarney. I think that's what seems to be causing concerns locally. It is, and and that was clean, unfortunately, into the surrounds of the hotels that people were seeing it. Um, but no, after this incident, it, it, it seems like they started fighting amongst themselves. And they come here, you know, seeking asylum. And surely, be to God, you come here seeking asylum. You do everything in your power to make sure you, you abide by the laws of, the, of that land. That's what I do if yeah. I was in somebody else's country okay, seeking asylum. Ju- just but sadly, that's not happening. Okay, stay there, because as I say, we have had a lot of calls in and concerns. And, and people are genuinely concerned. But um, Can- Clonakilty based councillor Paul Hayes is on the other line. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Patricia. Um, now, uh, and many happy returns, uh, Paul. Now, obviously, you w- were hearing from people locally in Clonakilty and seeing what was being reported. You decided to contact the asylum centre in Clonakilty. I, I did indeed, Patricia. Yeah, look, I, I uh, suppose monitoring the situation there. Looking, look, we all agree that there was a dreadful. Um, incident in Killarney and there's, there's no justification for that whatsoever um, but look there's court proceedings pending and all of that but yeah I, I certainly uh, picking up on, on, on media reports I contacted um, contacts in the uh, Clannic Guilty Lodge just to get a background uh, to the story myself because I did feel and it's, it's still continuing there some of the language around this is quite hysterical to be honest with you and I did want to get the background story so there is, uh, you know, two two Algerian people have been moved from Killarney to Clannacilty, and it's it's actually a husband and wife um, couple. Um, and the, the, the wife is, is six months pregnant, and from from what I've been told, um, and look, status allegedly because of court proceedings and stuff like that, like um, the, the wife in question was attacked in Killarney. Uh, she's still quite badly bruised, and that's... Um, her husband had stepped in to defend or whatever. Look, as I said, I'm not justifying what happened and I don't know the, the full extent of the story. Uh, below, and we won't look, know until the DPP absolutely, makes decisions absolutely. And, and, it, and it goes before the courts. But it yeah, is, it's yeah. a husband and wife yeah, absolutely. who have relocated. Yeah, and, yeah and, and, I, and I've asked management and I said, look, uh, you know, uh, have you any concerns for, for yourselves? Have you any concerns for the residents up there or for the general population. They said absolutely not. Uh, they're in daily contact with the Gardaí. They had very good uh, consultation with local Gardaí to, to allay any fears that they might have. Um, and as I said, look, yeah, as you mentioned yourself, there's a strict curfew in place. Uh, people have to stay in the building uh, at certain hours and the whole lot. Uh, and yeah, look, as I said, the, the, the local Gardaí have been very proactive on this and they're just look, monitoring the situation. But as I said, management up there don't envisage any problems and any issues arising here. Michael, what do you say to that? Look, uh, Patricia, I don't want to individualise as to who they are and who, who isn't and who wasn't. I mean, the man 
that's detained. Um, it, it was made very clear in the court. His wife is just after a baby. Um, and, 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 and he's been accused of very, very serious incidences. Uh, the man has continued to be detained by the, by the, by the Irish uh, the, the, That's the, the guy who didn't get but out on bail. The guy who didn't yeah. get out on bail. So yeah. look, we can't be looking at I'm fearful we of, can't I'm f- be kicking the can down the road here. Yeah, yeah. We have to have a very clear law. If this law is broken, if there's people out on bail, should, they can't be bailed and moved into another community. They have to be detained until they're found guilty or not guilty. It doesn't matter if that's the year, gentlemen. I'm not nothing personal against them because I don't know them at all. And, and the Irish authorities have no idea who they are because it's come quite clear through the course that we have no paperwork on anybody that comes into this country in relation to these people. Well, so well, I'm well on, I'm so, on some of them, on some of them. People do arrive with, with proper paperwork, but some we don't. don't. I'd love to think that. But what I'm saying is that I have no issue at all as long as the people are innocent and the people are innocent, they're fine. But until this case is found either to be innocent or not innocent, they, people can't be moved around from community to community uh, on the basis that they may or may not be guilty. And we can't be... I'm not going to vote for anybody regardless of whether they're in Okay, and I can see case. a lot of people are agreeing with you, Michael, that if anyone comes to this country applying for asylum status, if they get involved in any kind of criminal activity or violent incidents, we should deport them immediately. We have to. We have to have... Uh, we have to... I mean, I know this is a completely different issue, but as a hitman uh, deported yesterday out of Ireland, a notorious hitman, I can't understand how he got in here in the first place. So we have to have laws and strict laws, and if people are in danger, they have to be protected, yes, but certainly we can't be in danger ourselves uh, trying, to, uh, trying to protect other people. You know, okay, and, 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 and Paul, looking at our asylum uh, system... I mean, has it improved in any way? Are there still lengthy delays in processing uh, people? I mean, is is that where the nub of the problem lies? We take too long to uh, to, to work out who is a genuine asylum seeker or not, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I I would share some of Michael uh, Michael Collins' concerns there, without a doubt. Like, so like th- this situation here has highlighted the bigger problem here is the whole shambles that is the asylum process in Ireland. Uh, as I said, look, I know we discussed previous issues about uh, the Ukrainian refugee response, uh, you know, when, when people were coming to Clannacilty and other places there. And even though some of that was absolutely disorganised, it was still a hundred times better than the situation that uh, people coming here seeking asylum have to deal with. And as I said, I, I deal frequently with people up in the, the, the lodge in Clannacilty. And as I said, look, we, it, it's over 20 years since uh, the first people came to Clan. And generally, it's been it's been actually quite a positive um, experience for the community there. You know, the, the community garden is adjacent to the lodge above. They're growing uh, plants and things with the t- tidy towns committees. They do art exhibitions and all that. But there's a huge, like, th- there's a huge issues under the surface there for for the the, the people involved. Like, this whole families are, are uh, overcrowded and cramped inside in one one room above there. Like, and that's not healthy at all at all for, for adults or for growing no, kids. It's, it's, uh, it's, our, it's our system. It's our system needs to be overhauled. John, John, in, John in Clannacilty contacting the programme says, I agree with both Michael and Paul. Uh, we just moved the situation on. Kicking the can down the street uh, was a good comment from uh, Michael. But we really need to look at how we deal with people arriving into this country. I feel in about 20 years' time, we'll end up having a tribunal on how we treated people in direct provision centres and how, t- how 
hotels. However, if any of them get involved in criminal activity, they um, have to go and go immediately. And Michael, yesterday I was reading that the Department of Integration are saying they're going to need to source more accommodation for asylum uh, seekers. When you get a situation like what has happened in Killarney, it's understandable, isn't it, why communities get nervous and why they oppose, you know, things like modular homes or direct provision centres. You can understand it, Michael, can't you? I can certainly understand that, Patricia. There's a very serious worry and, I, and a bigger worry uh, coming down the road uh, because quite a lot of hotels uh, throughout the country have uh, t- taken quite a lot of uh, these asylum seekers um, and, and are to be maybe uh, up until April. What's going to happen in April? Where are all these people going to go to? And I mean, you you have to understand there's an element of sympathy for these people do. They can't like they can't be turfed out and into tins like they have been. Yeah. I think you know Minister Garman hasn't really looked at this right at all. Or the government, they've had their eye off the ball and they've been caught on numerous occasions. And I think that we have to do a lot of serious rethinking on the whole issue. Okay. But I, I have very serious concerns, you know, and people at Connecticut have expressed massive concerns to me over the last number of years. And you, me- you, you mentioned that you contacted Minister Rodrigo Gorman, who, uh, whose department has uh, responsibility uh, for the asylum seekers. Did you get any reply, Michael? All I got is, all I got is an acknowledgement to the email and he came back to me in due course and all nothing right. has happened. Okay, okay. Listen, I can see a lot of commentary coming in on this, which I will get to. But in the meantime, thank you both for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning thank to you. you. That is uh, West Cork Doll Deputy uh, Michael Collins and uh, Clonakilty-based councillor Paul Hayes. Oh, there's just so much commentary coming in about the situation in Clonakilty. I promise you I will uh, get back to them. We just need to go through all of the comments that have come in. But I want to move on because leading veterinary officers are calling for dog insurance to be made compulsory. This is following a number of dog attacks in recent weeks, including the loss of dozens of sheep last week on a Tipperary farm. At the same time, a Fianna Fáil Cork TD is calling for people with dangerous dogs that they need to face tougher punishment if they cannot control their animals correctly. Cork North Central Doll Deputy Portugal Sullivan joins me to explain uh, more. Good morning to you, Boric. Morning, Patricia. And you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, you have reached out to the court services to get figures on the numbers of people prosecuted for not controlling their dogs. Do you feel the information and the numbers you got, they're very much on the low side? Yeah, I suppose, look, the big thing about the, those figures is that, you know, as you said yourself, the, the level of reporting, I'd imagine, is very low and the level of conviction is also very low. Um, but there, there are other studies that show in the period 2016 to 21 that there were over 4,000 dog attacks, not just on humans now, but on livestock, other animals as well. Um, and approximately 1,700 of those were on people directly. So... There are a significant number of attacks. Um, some were probably minor in, in nature. I, I myself have been uh, the victim of a number of dog bites over the years, particularly when you're out canvassing yeah. and you know you are taking that risk by going on other people's properties, and that's fair game in my own opinion. But um, you know, specifically that figure of 4,000 attacks in that five-year period is quite significant, I think. Um, and there's obviously well-documented attacks in recent years, um, most notably that one in Wexford recently with that young child, Alejandro, um, who suffered significant um, injuries and uh, I do believe that the onus should be on the dog owner um, and that they should, if they haven't taken the necessary precautions, be it putting a dog on a leash, muzzling an animal that might be out roaming, um, I do believe that you know they should face tougher sanctions if that dog commits any type of attack. 
Uh, yeah, and making sure that when they are in a person's garden or a back garden that it's it's secure because I know that little that little boy in Wexford the dog got out I mean and you know any dog particularly the ones that are on that uh, dangerous dogs list shouldn't be in a situation where they can get out of the so-called secure garden yeah and it's it's, it's all feeds into the fundamental point that you know the dog owner should be responsible like I don't believe that there are many bad dogs there I just believe that there you know are a number of irresponsible owners the vast majority of owners do take the steps that are required um, but there are you know a number of people that you know just feel that it's okay to let dogs run wild and I suppose look, that incident in Wexford did attract an awful, an awful lot of media attention but that's just number one of a number of incidents that have occurred over the last few years um, you know, I, I can remember just after being elected um, in late 2019, early 2020, there was a seven-year-old, I think, attacked and died in Dublin, um, was subject to attack by um, a Rottweiler. Mm. Um, you know, so look, that dog's breed list is there, as you said, there are 10 dogs on it. Um, you know, uh, they're on display in an awful lot of our public parks and playgrounds across the city and county. Um, but like, if you ask anybody to be honest about it, look, you know, on the parks and playgrounds that I would frequent, um, dogs are off the leash and unmuzzled more as much as they they are on the leash. So yeah, because any time, any time we mention it here on the program, Pork, we will inevitably get a number of calls and emails and texts in from people saying, "I was out walking recently, uh, you know, and somebody was out with a dog, might have been on a lead, but certainly wasn't muzzled, and they were one of the dogs on that list." Yeah, and I suppose, look, I've been involved in um, the redevelopment of a playground where I'm from here in Little Island recently, and we have a brand new playground um, and and lovely three-kilometre walking loop courtesy of Cork County Council. And, you know, one of the, I suppose, things that parents were most interested in relation to that playground was actually having it fenced off, and it was specifically referenced repeatedly that it was for fear that, you know, dogs would um, come and encroach on the space that was designed for children. So... Um, it's happening right across the county and I do believe that um, if owners took the responsibility in their own hand, did what was, you know, their obligation essentially, there are there's actually a litany of legislation there and laws, but unfortunately it comes down to the enforcement of those. But I do believe in very serious attacks like that one we mentioned in Wexford, I do believe that people should face tougher sanctions. I don't think it's not enough just to destroy the animal. Um, an issue, you know, a mandatory fine maybe of two and a half thousand euros, which is the, the highest fine that can be issued. I do believe that certain other, um, where, where there's a clear case of negligence uh, demonstrated by a dog owner, then I do believe that we need to deliberate on tougher sanctions for those people. Yeah, and when I mentioned that we were going to be discussing this uh, this morning, uh, Fanula, one of our listeners, emailed the programme uh, to say, just as part of your discussion on dogs today on program on your programme, I was out walking on Monday of this week. Two neighbours' dogs surrounded me. They actually took me down, tore my coat. I'm of small stature, so it was easy enough for the dogs to get me on the ground. I ended up hurting my elbow in the encounter. I eventually got them to run off by throwing bricks and stones at them. I gathered myself after a while. I was shaken, but I was was OK. I armed myself with a stick. I went to the owner uh, to tell the owner what had happened, uh, only to be told, oh, we didn't know that they had gotten out a week. Sorry. And then the door was closed in my face. I mean, that's simply not good enough. Yeah, look, I'm sorry to hear about that listener's experience. And look, it must also be said, like you said, she injured her elbow and, and yeah. whatever other bites she might have had. Like in 2020 alone, there was over 300 people hospitalised due to dog attacks. 
Um, you know, as I said, though they're varying in degree of severity, but I do believe, like given the current crisis that we have, you know, it's well documented in emergency departments at the moment. Um, to have 300 people across the country hospitalised due to dogs attacks, I, I think, is unacceptable, and we do need to deal with the issues here. So I welcome the Tishuk's or the Dentishuk's comments, though Tarnished and Michael Martin's comments there before Christmas, where he said that um, a major review was required and it was going to be done by the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell, and, and that's still ongoing. And I hope that that does include provision for tougher sanctions for those irresponsible dog owners that we've mentioned previously. Yeah, and would you agree with the, the Cork County veterinary officers calling for the dog insurance, that that should be made compulsory? Um, I, I'd be honest with you, I, I don't know enough about it, to be honest, Patricia, to make a comment. But I do believe that we need to be tougher on... Uh, the registration of dogs, the shipping of dogs, and look, it, it's well documented again that you know we are under resourced in terms of the number of dog wardens that we have, not just in Cork but across the country. And even if you move into other animals such as horses, um, you know I, I, I estimate that there's fifty, to forty to fifty percent of all horses that are unregistered out there. There's just an awful lot of the issues that seem to happen or occur seem to happen when animals are unregistered. Um, and it comes back to the, the onus comes back to those owners that I've spoken about. I think more than anything, um, on the insurance side, I, you know, as, as I understand it, it is kind of discretionary at the moment. Um, I don't really have any thoughts on making it mandatory. To be honest, I haven't thought about okay. it. Enough. Okay, and and is, is somebody saying is there simply not enough policing of these uncontrolled dogs? Because somebody's saying as you're on about dogs on that dangerous list, just been out in Mallow, and there's one of those dogs wandering around as we speak. Uh, and obviously yeah. the owner unaware that the dogs after getting out. But like that, I said, um, it comes back to enforcement. And uh, look, it's a while since I was in Cork County Council, but there are literally only a handful of dog wardens covering the entire county. Um, and I was listening to a different radio station before Christmas, a national broadcaster. And I think in the county of Clare, for example, there was one dog warden and he was on uh, that radio programme discussing the issues that he has in Clare. One dog warden to cover the entirety of that county. Um it's similar in Cork, you know, we have very, very low levels. Um, you know, it's, it's just not resourced adequately, I think, to ensure that the proper enforcement is there and that's something that needs to be looked at as well in terms of government funding it appropriately, but also local authorities treating it with the seriousness that it deserves, I think. OK, a lot of people can see a lot of texts coming in uh, agreeing with you 100% on this. Porrick, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, Cork uh, TD, Podrick O'Sullivan. Uh, hi, Patricia. I hear the call for dog insurance. No use bringing laws into this country unless we police them. It simply won't happen, says John. We need more policing. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Apologies if I don't get to all of them, but let me give you a sample of some of your thoughts coming in on dogs and dog attacks that we discussed with Deputy Porrigo Sullivan in the last uh, hour. And I tied it in with the fact that the Cork County Council vets, uh, veterinary officers are saying we need to have compulsory dog insurance in this country. A listener says, Trish, talking about dog insurance, I used to work for an insurance company. A standard home insurance policy will cover your personal liability for any loss or injury to a member of the public due to your negligence as does a public liability cover under a business or farm machinery but the main problem is trying to prove the injury 
are the damage without evidence and that's always been the problem hasn't it when it comes to dog and dog attacks somebody actually witnessing it and who actually owns the dog that's why microchipping you need to have every single dog in this country microchipping because at least then with a microchip if a dog is is caught you can work out who actually owns the dog John Amado says Paul Drake uh, mentioned about going into somebody's yard when he was out canvassing and dogs attacking him but surely that's his own fault a dog in a yard is there to protect the home and the dog will make a stand and in fairness Podrick did say that it just it comes with the territory however John says on the overall conversation I do agree that sanctions do need to be put in place particularly on dogs that are out of control also if a dog attacks sheep for example that dog should be shot on the spot and they do and farmers do but again the problem is like what happened in Tipperary over the weekend that was horrific I think 80 sheep in total uh, were lost 20 I think there was six there was I think there was four, 50 dog 50 sheep were killed by the dogs and then there was another 20 had to be put down and there's another number of them missing it was horrific uh, what happened but there was no sign of the dogs it had happened overnight they reckoned it was a pack of dogs judging by the amount of damage that was done to the the poor sheep but yes if a farmer comes across a dog attacking his sheep he will of course uh, shoot him on the spot but it's when it happens and nobody knows where the dogs went to or who owned the dogs Pat Infomoy says we can ban plastic bags but we can't ban dogs that are on the dangerous dogs breed why can't we simply do this not allow any of those dogs to be kept as pets uh, in our country and Anna said she was walking in a local area recently and a lady across the road on the other footpath was also walking but the lady's dog was on Anna's side of the road now she said the dog was very very friendly but she said it got her thinking afterwards that if she had been a toddler and the dog had bounded up to the toddler the way it bounded up to Anne it could have been a very different uh, uh, story she felt that the woman shouldn't have had the dog off the lead and she said before people say you don't know that, that woman owned the dog she said I do because she said as soon as a car passed she called the dog over but she reckoned nobody should be allowed out now we're not saying it's a dog on the on the, on the the uh, controlled uh, dog list but uh, any dogs um, should always when, when out should always be on a, a lead 0818 now a huge reaction to what's happening in Clonakilty and our chat with two local public representatives, Michael Collins and local councillor in Clonakilty, Paul Hayes, in the last hour. Let me just give you a sample. A lot of people making kind of similar points. Carmel and Ballinhasic says once any asylum seeker commits an offence, they should be st- sent home straight away. But I suppose most of them are burning or discarding their passport and their documentation before they land. So there is no country of origin to be sent back to. Dublin needs to move passport control onto the plane, not a half a mile walk from arrivals. But there will there would be a country of origin. They had to get on the plane in some country. So let that be the country of origin. Carmel, if that's your thinking. Uh, Trisha Clonakilty says, so taking the problem from Clonakilty and moving it elsewhere, do they really think that that will solve anything? Most of those people had ditched their papers on the way here. Nobody knows anything about them. They definitely didn't get on a plane without ID. So what happened to it between whenever they boarded to whenever they landed in Ireland and went to passport control? If we were to turn up in any other country without a passport or a visa, we'd be put straight back on a flight home and I don't know how carefully you were listening to the news at 11 but the former Justice Minister Michael McDool uh, was talking about the number of 
asylum seekers, the people who've arrived in this country seeking international protection. Now, he's not talking about Ukrainians. It's the numbers who are coming in as asylum seekers. And he made, I thought, an interesting point. 20% of those who arrived in Ireland last year, just in 2022, 20% of the 13,319 people were from Georgia. Now, Georgia is deemed a safe country of origin. But the sting in the tail for Ireland from a Georgia point of view is Georgia has visa free travel to the EU. So anyone in Georgia can go into any other EU country and they don't need to have a visa. So why from a country that seems safe, why are 20 percent of over 13,000 people? So that's over 2,600 people. Why are they turning up in this country saying that they're looking for international uh, protection. And uh, Michael McDool was saying was talking about how some people come here simply because they know they can't be deported. And this is what he had to say on the news. The whole process whereby Georgian asylum seekers can go anywhere in the EU uh, without a visa because citizens of Georgia has a visa-free a- a access to the EU. There are few, if any, direct flights from Georgia to um, Dublin. And therefore, uh, it it, it does appear that um, there is a practice now developing of Georgian uh, citizens uh, deciding to choose Ireland effectively as a soft touch. Certainly does need to be uh, looked at. Peter Rimbandon says we need to do what they do in Australia. They meet them at the airport. They put them into a waiting room. If they don't have papers, if they don't have documentations, they are sent straight back to the country to which they arrived uh, from and they're not sent into hotels miles away. It is shocking what is happening in this uh, country. And though Tim says those rioters from the hotel in Killarney should have been deported immediately, wasting Garda and court services time. We need proper scrutiny and holding areas at all our ports and airports when asylum seekers and refugees are held uh, before being left to stay in this country. David in Skull says, why can't our Minister for Foreign Affairs now contact President Zelensky and ask him why there are so many young Ukrainian men here in Ireland? Should they not be conscripted back into Ukraine. Now please don't confuse what happened in Killarney with Ukrainians fleeing war. They're two completely different uh, issues. They w- it isn't Ukrainians who are staying in that hotel in Killarney. Anyway, uh, some th- th- column, uh, David and Skull says easier said than done as so many uh, who are arriving in this country are coming in without uh, documentation. No Irish person would ever say no to somebody fleeing war or who are in trouble. We do welcome people into this country but there are simply too many coming in and as we start to hear more incidents like what happened in Killarney um, then it's going to turn people against those who are arriving. If people do take part in crime they should be deported but while the Irish are welcoming the lifeboat is getting very full and soon it'll fall over and if all these types of situations uh, continue then the love of the Irish and the falta that we're so good at will soon disappear and disappear very very quickly and some of your texts in when priests had paedophiling complaints against them in a parish they were moved around only to repeat the abuse in a different parish our courts seem to be doing the same with the Killarney 
Killarney offenders have they no duty of care and safety towards communities apart from passing the problem on it's a total disgrace they need to urgently review and correct this by detaining them separate from others who want to behave and appreciate what is being done for them yeah because the danger is that everyone gets tired with the same brush and there are a genuine asylum seekers who are fleeing for their lives and it is so unfair if everyone gets tired with the same brush and Dan says on the Killarney direct provision issue there are other incidents coming out which local residents and councillors are aware of but local public representatives are fearful of highlighting them they don't want to put tourists off coming to Killarney according to uh, Dan someone else says if there's a so-called war why are there so many men here again what happened in Killarney has nothing to do with they're not Ukrainians John says is anybody noticing the names and surnames of the people up before the courts causing havoc our generosity is coming back to bite us someone else says anyone who comes into this country and makes this kind of trouble if they are before the courts send them back home send them back to where they came uh, from if they want to live in this country they need to abide by our laws and just one final one Patricia it's a disgrace they should have been sent back to where they came from what's wrong with our government they will have our beautiful country destroyed okay and on and on and on as I say a lot of them are very similar particularly with that issue of deportation that if you break the rules of this country you should be deported but I go back again to a point that I made to both Councillor Paul Hayes and Deputy Michael Collins it is our asylum process needs to be looked at and again this isn't a new problem we've had asylum seekers coming into this uh, country for well over uh, 20 years into the direct provision centre and it just takes too long that whole system needs to be reviewed and looked at 0818 103 103 lines open C103 jobs ward personnel are looking for construction workers with machine tickets please uh, for example digger drivers crane operators lorry drivers and arctic dumper drivers 021 233 9120 a childminder wanted to work in Bantir it's for two children aged uh, three and a half and a four-year-old school pickup will be necessary contact Lorna on 086 39539833 person wanted for building work full and part-time it's in the Mitchellstown for Moy area 086 Apprentice Carpenter and General Operatives and wanted for immediate start in the Cork area. Shane is your contact at 083-8438-445. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Staying on dogs, Trisha Blackpool says where she lives, there are two no, they're small dogs, but she reckons they're causing mayhem in the neighbourhood. They'll attack anyone who walks past their house. Yesterday, she saw two smallies, seven seven or eight-year-olds have to run away as these dogs were chasing them. The owner was standing by and watching and didn't do anything. Uh, Trish says dog wardens should have the responsibility to just take dogs that are not on leads and are running around freely and round them up, then track down the owner and find them heavily. She also saw these same dogs go after a lady who was walking in the area with a guide dog. Goodness, goodness me. Joe in Kilmallock is on the line on this issue. Uh, good morning, Joe. 
Good morning, Patricia. Happy New Year, and Patricia. Ma- many happy returns, Joe. You have a suggestion to do with uh, people going for their dog licence. Exactly. I strongly believe that nobody should get a dog licence unless they can prove that that dog is, is microchipped. And they then, should have they, yeah. they, because if they go to a vet, they have to go to they, the vet should be able to give them a certificate saying yes, the dog is is microchipped. If not, they shouldn't get a license. And you also want the license to go up in price. Uh, well, twenty euros. You wouldn't get a packet of fags for it. So I strongly believe that the, that the dog license should be increased to one hundred euros. But is that not unfair on people who are very responsible pet owners and, you know, older people and maybe their only companion is their dog? You're, you're, no, going, to, you're no. going to target them? No, it is not mean targeting. I mean, what about the farmers that are, and 13, 40, 50 sheep being killed by dogs? No, the licence, everything else has gone mad. Like, the dog licence is only 20 euros. So and I strongly, I strongly believe that dogs, if they, if they are dog owners, and uh, they should be made pay, pay for it. Yeah, but you see, the other point is, how many people who own a dog have a dog license? Uh, very few. Yeah, therein lies the problem. There are very few, and we're, in, in Limerick, we've only two dog wardens. So, if there is money being collected, where is that money going? Yeah, is it and going how to the can... dog wardens or is it going into the county council's coppers? Yeah, and part of the responsibility of the dog warden is to check up that people do have a dog licence. But how can two dog wardens do the whole of Cork City, do the whole of Limerick City and County to check who has a dog licence and who doesn't? They can't do it. We've yeah. never seen the dog licence. Dog wardens, they're just a waste of space. They're only two. two they're, they're being paid. But how much? I'd love to know how much money is being taken in. Just saying the Limerick post offices going through to the Limerick County Council. Okay, we'll, what, what, we'll, what we'll do is we'll try and check to see how many dog licences were issued last year. We'll get onto the department and see if we can find out how many were issued nationwide and see if we can get a breakdown from them and, and we'll get back to you on that one, Joe. But I get, I guarantee you it is way less than the number of dogs that are in this country. In the night time here, when, when now it gets dark early and you see people walking down here with two and three dogs on their leads. Yeah. And they're letting the dogs off the leads and they're letting them run down around the new, the new walk where we have here. It, it, I think it's ridiculous. They say, somebody who looks after their dogs, fair enough, but there's quite a lot that don't. Yeah, that, and that's the problem. And then everyone gets tired with the one brush. All exactly. right. All right, Joe, thank you for that. And okay, uh, thanks thank for okay, Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Joe in uh, Kilmallock, 0818 Now, as we discussed before Christmas, some 64 of the 180 strong fishing fleet have applied to the government's decommissioning scheme, which is worth 60 million euro. And of course, it was set up because of the Brexit trade and cooperation agreement with so many fishermen and women getting out of the industry. The effect can have a massive blow on the wider community. With the latest on this story, I'm once again joined by Patrick Murphy, who is CEO of the South and Southwest Fish Producers Organisation. Good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. Happy New Year and, and Happy New Year to all the listeners. And many happy returns to you and uh, to particularly uh, to all of your members and all of our, our wonderful uh, people who operate our fishing uh, fleet. Have you a number on how many cork boats have decided to go down this route of decommissioning? Well, I'd have the number inside in Castletown Bear alone and it's frightening. It's 19 out of 60. Ah, that's a big number, isn't it? It's shocking, to be honest. So just to give the reality of what's happening now in, in our coastal communities already, I met a lad at a funeral last night and he said, Patrick, I'm involved in the GA all my life. He says, it's frightening what's happening. 24 new 
placements inside national schools, all the national schools of the Bear Peninsula. So he said, if that number continues, instead of having four to 500 children in the secondary school uh, in five or six years' time, you're talking about 120 to 130 children. That is crazy. We're, li- we're losing our population in rural areas. Absolutely. And, and this is happening at a rate of knots, pardon the pun. And, and the fishing industry is one industry. Is, is just an example of what's happening. And you've definitely heard me say this before, Patricia. Once the fishing industry is dealt with, and I'll use that word, dealt with, other indigenous industries and indigenous, indigenous peoples of this land will be the next target. And I've said it's going to happen, and it is happening. We see uh, the unfair burden of farmers that have to carry the carbon footprint and the propaganda that shows that a cow in a field is now more devastating to our uh, environment than a chimney stack burning coal. It's crazy to see how we've been driven down the roads that we have. We have Quilcha. But can you understand why, particularly the 19 out of the 16 Castletown Bear, can you understand why fishermen are are, are getting out? But can you understand why they're signing up for decommissioning? They have no choice. I know, Patricia, this this isn't about somebody thinking I'm going to get a pot of money here and, and retire and everything will be good for the rest of my life. That is not the case. People have to understand that these people are being forced out of their industry. They have no choice. They have seen 25% of the fish that they were allowed to catch and make their living on stripped away from them overnight. And the Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. 
Code program. 24th of uh, December, Christmas Eve in 2020. That's what they were told they were losing. That is happening each and every year and getting worse. There's more and more fish being given away. And the worst thing about this is that that deal only for fisheries is up for renegotiation uh, in 2025. And I can guarantee you the UK fishermen will be looking for more fish and who's going to pay that price. Uh, in 2025. And this story uh, is making news in Europe. Tell me about the piece for Euronews that was filmed down in Castletown Bear. So we had two uh, camera. We had the French coming over and they transmitted uh, it on Christmas Day. Christmas Day, imagine, uh, that was the story that was told in French uh, television of how Ireland's industry was being devastated and we had three lads up speaking on it. And Euronews came over and he left the day before Christmas Eve to go back to his family and that will be broadcast on the 19th of January again and 10 minutes this time and it'll be on repeat of the interviews with ourselves and the lads of what it actually means because the people in Europe don't believe that this is possible. They know all the fishes in Irish waters and they think that you know we're only looking for this for free money just like the, the cap these fellas don't want to fish, they just want the free handout. That is nothing further from um, the truth. Yeah. But, but, but why, why is there not a lot of media publicity here in Ireland? I mean, particularly that, you know, 19 out of 60 boats is, is, would be devastating for Castletown there, for the well, wider we had, community. We had, we had Ginny O'Sullivan, in fairness, came down from RTE to, to touch on what happened with the Russians and revisit that just before Christmas, which we were grateful for and relive that, that, that terrific event. And just to let you know, there's an actual Hollywood script written on it, so we might see our name up in lights yet <laughs> all around the world. But, no, no, but back to all seriousness, what you're saying is, is true. And a fair play to yourself, Patricia, and John Paul, for keeping this alive. Because this isn't just about the fishing industry. I keep saying this to anybody who will listen. This is about your communities. The people that are listening to this, you will have to pay more for your fish. You will see less money coming from that resource off our shoreline going into our economy. Less money in the coastal communities, in the towns and villages, less fish, higher priced fish. This is what's going to be the result of this. And it can be easily solved. There is fish in Europe that the other countries aren't catching multiples of our entire quotas. And we're looking for our department and our minister to go over and just say, no, we're not agreeing to the to the share out of fish this year we're saying no, we're annihilated we're not going to just keep wiping out our coastal communities and the people that are there, we do not want to see fishing becoming a memory around our coastline. And you know, and let's be honest we have form in this country when it comes to agreeing to what the EU uh, wants us to do and losing an industry, we lost our sugar industry and when and then when the powers that be look back, they accept that it was a mistake, we shouldn't have lost it but it's gone it was once you know, a thriving industry and it's gone. You see, this is where I think that we need proper representation in Europe and at home to say we're not, they're not accepting that anymore. And the reason being, and here's the argument, how can we justify in a world that is talking about carbon and the use of carbon, justify instead of producing that sugar in our own country that we put it into containers and ship it from all over the world? Look at the carbon footprint on that. It's crazy. So if Europe is really serious about their green economy, farm to fork and everything else, we have the opportunity to go over there 
use the legislation that's there in Europe to get these industries back and just say we're just not accepting it because it doesn't meet with your targets and what your goals and what your new policies are. And here's the reason why we are going to look for these industries back because it's the right thing to do for the planet, not just for our country and our communities, but for our planet. We cannot be shipping goods all over the world saying that we have a carbon crisis and a, a climate change crisis and continue to do so. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah, make it's, sense. It's a, it's a valid point. Um, of the fishermen who have decided to go down the commissioning uh, route, Patrick, that you've spoken to, have they said what they will do in the future? Have they? You see, this is it. This is the worst thing now, and, and this is going to be a horrific way of describing it, uh, uh, Patricia, if you give me the time, and you're very good to give me the time. When we and the lads applied for this, we told them that the scheme itself wasn't fit for purpose. It was undervalued. Your target of what 8,000 tonnes at 12,000 per GT needs 96 million. You've, you've allocated 63. You're just not going to meet your targets. So that means you have to undervalue the boats that you're trying to take out. You're going to cheat people out of what they're entitled to. So on top of that, then, you have these lads who don't have the fish to catch, so they have to get out. And they have no choice. And people might be told, as they're getting a pocket full of money, they'll be lucky if they cover their debts. They'll be lucky, some of them, if they'll keep their homes and their houses. Oh. And this is the reality of what's happening. God, it's shocking. It's just shocking. OK, uh, listen, uh, Patrick, I, 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 I'll just on a kind of to end on a more of a positive news. The, the non-EEA crews in the Irish fishing fleet, there's changes so, there. What's, what's that? Look, uh, it, you always look for a good news story. Yeah. And this was the first New Year's that I actually had a big smile on my face in my job. Uh, what I've been trying to do was gifted to us by, I, I believe, Damien English and Simon Coveney when, in their roles inside in the Department of Trade and Enterprise. So we had a scenario where atypical workers were coming into this country under the regime that was there, which was from their country. Their agencies they were were in charge of how they got paid, who got remunerated, and the boats had to pay them. So they worked within that system, which was not fit for purpose. The Pope got involved, Simon Coveney got involved, and they brought in an atypical worker scheme. But because we were ineligible as an industry to bring in workers from outside of Europe, they weren't given the proper legal status. So we've been trying to rectify that since this has happened, right? And... On the 3rd of, of uh, January, we got a notification out from the department to say that all these lads would be given a stamp four. A stamp four allows you to work in the economy. It's what was given to the Ukrainian people when they came in. They could, even though they were outside the EU, they could bypass the restrictive laws on uh, employment and go straight into employment in the country. We asked for the same for these lads, and and we're delighted that that was given. But there is something, there is there is a slight bit of a, a, a twinge to this that we need to get rectified. Anybody that has a contract with these lads, right, who've paid for them to come into the country and spent a lot of money to get them in, and both parties have signed up to this contract, we believe that contract should be honoured and that they shouldn't be allowed to walk away from somebody in a boat because that'll leave them without crew. So they should, when they have the stamp four, when they qualify for that and when, when the contract is out of date, but we would like that to be um, clarified by the okay. minister and by them. But okay. look, it's a brilliant news story it because these lads now are protected. Yeah. And we've been fighting for this, as you know, Patricia, for the last three years. 
to make sure these lads have every opportunity and can work on the boats now the same as any other person on the boat can get a share and they can and, and there's no differences now between their fellow crewmen and they can work and operate the boat to get the same money as everybody else. Even it's, though, it's a even though with, with with less boats there'll be less workers needed unfortunately. Just one final text uh, I was one final comment on this um Patrick from Michael who says Patricia uh, listening to your fisherman Patrick Murphy speaking on the program I totally agree with everything he's saying this morning. The next target mark my word in agriculture will be the beef suckler herd. That will be decommissioned a money page to farmers and then guess what we'll end up importing beef with no traceability rainforest being cut down uh, to produce that beef where is the fairness in all of this how can our politicians stand over this the Green Party are pushing an agenda they'll end up destroying our country Patrick we leave it there we will talk again in the meantime thank you for that and thanks for joining us you're more than welcome, Patricia, and thanks again for having me on. And again, Happy New Year to everybody. Um, and Happy New Year to you. Thanks a million, Patrick. That is Patrick Murphy, CEO of the South and South West Fish Producers Organisation that sadly is going to lose a lot of uh, members with that decommissioning that was agreed because of the Brexit Trade and Cooperation Agreement. Dreaded Brexit again, raising its ugly head. We are going to Bantry Garda Station for this week's uh, Garda File and joining me is Garda Don Davis, who is Junior Liaison Officer uh, at Bantry Garda Station. Good morning to you, Dom. Good morning, Patricia, and Happy New Year. And uh, many happy returns uh, t- uh, to you. And, and I know you want to start by wishing everybody a Happy New Year, all of our listeners. Absolutely. Just on behalf of Garda Shikana, we'd like to wish everyone a happy and a very healthy 2023. And if I may, Patricia, I suppose, take this opportunity to wish your colleague, Paddy Palmer, all the very best. And just to say our thoughts and prayers are with Paddy and his family at this difficult time. That's very kind of you. Very kind of you. And, and indeed, yeah. Uh, and we've been asking everyone, please keep Paddy in your thoughts and uh, prayers. And we're all just hoping and wishing that he will make a speedy and a full uh, recovery. Now, earlier in the week, I think it was actually our first day back on uh, Tuesday, I spoke with a young farmer uh, from the Ballyvorney area on behalf of her dad, uh, where there was it was cattle was stolen, stolen cattle rustling, something that we don't hear a lot of, but is it on the increase? For some reason, Patricia, it, it is on the increase. And I suppose it's just, if we just take a little bit of time this morning, and I know you had the family on during the week, but it's important to just go over a few details because it's after happening in a number of areas throughout the country, not just in West Cork. And I suppose from a guard perspective, we're curious to get farming communities theory and beliefs into why this has taken place at this particular time when it wasn't happening before. So if, I suppose if I may start um, to the first reported incident which we had, which was in Affadown in Valdehob, and I suppose that happened back a little while ago, Patricia, but it was between the 12th and the 15th of December. Now, again, something similar to the, the incident in, in Balavorny, taken from Affadown in Valdehob were five Frisian in-calf heifers and three Aberdeen Angus bullocks. And I suppose, you know, what we're looking for from, from the Gar- from a Gardaí point of view here is, again, dash cam footage from anyone that may have been in the area between the 12th and the 15th of December, and particularly anyone that may have travelled on the N71 between Valdehob and Skibreen during that period of time. And I know the Gardaí have a lot of work done, Patricia, in relation to these instances. So what we're also asking, which is slightly unusual, is if you were from the farming community and you were travelling with, with sheeps and lorries and cattle boxes during that period of time, we would ask you to contact Bantry Garda Station just to eliminate yourself from, from more inquiries because you have to understand, Patricia, 
three days in the 12th and the 15th, quite a lot of traffic mm. travel during that area. So if, if you were and you're listening, we would be delighted if they would contact Bantry Garda Station and just eliminate yourself from any inquiries. So Bantry Garda Station can be contacted at 27 20860. So that's 027 And I suppose just a follow on from there was the incident that you had the family on, and that's nearly Christmas between the 23rd and the 24th of December into Christmas Eve, the 24th. And again, taken there were four in calf cows of the Aubrac breed and, four, and two four month old weanlings and a pedigree Angus bull. You, and again, I suppose the same thing there, Patricia, just I'm repeating myself, if anyone has dash, dash cam footage or CCTV footage from homes in that particular area, or if anyone travelled on the N22 from the Killarney to Balavorny direction during that period of time, we would ask you just to check your dash cam footage, and I suppose the back roads via Baradoff and Lowbridge on a Friday night into Saturday morning. So the Gardaí are fairly sure that the people involved came from the Killarney direction towards Balavorny that night. And I suppose just to follow on a little bit, and I know I'm throwing a lot of information there, Patricia, so I, I will go back and repeat some of it if it's yeah. not coming across clear enough Yeah, because, because the one thing that, you know, Anya was, was making the point that their farm is in quite a rural, isolated area. Um, so they're convinced that, uh, you know, this was a well-planned theft that's the you know they had to have been in the area during daylight hours in the week or weeks leading up to the theft so that they could you know work out the route that they would take to get to the farm and then the route that they would take to get out away from the farm so it it was well planned so somebody also in the weeks leading up might have noticed you know, people acting suspiciously, you know, in an, a, particularly in very rural areas, everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's car. You know, a, a strange car driving slowly, you know, checking out roads, checking out junctions, crossroads, might have just raised suspicions? 100% correct, Patricia. No more than the, the farm in, in Affidona Valley Hob, very isolated rural area. A strange car would stand out a mile, a strange jeep, a strange cattle box, they'd stand out a mile. So, look, we're hoping that we will get some information in relation to this. But I suppose just in relation to the incident going back to Balavorny, we're very interested in a black Volkswagen Tourage, which was seen pulling a triple axle over Williams' cattle trailer. And what was unusual about this at the time as well, it was accompanied in, in convoy with a red Ford Fiesta. So we're fairly sure that a black Volkswagen Tourage pulling a, a triple axle over Williams' trailer was involved in that incident in Balavorny, but it was also accompanied in convoy with a red Ford Fiesta. Unfortunately, we don't have any further details about reg numbers. OK, but, but somebody we, with dash cam footage, we're talking of the night of the Friday into the Saturday morning, so it's the Friday into the early hours of Christmas Eve morning. You you may have had have people out visiting family and friends. Somebody might have dash cam footage. Somebody might have dash cam footage, or someone might actually know somebody who has a black Volkswagen Tourage and also associates with a red Ford Fiesta. It might just, you know, someone's memory. Look, that might that might fit the bill here. Yeah, um, yeah. We would we would just you know even if the information you feel might not be relevant, we would be delighted to hear from it. You and know, the, the other thing anybody. that the other thing that struck me when I was speaking with um, Anya about the Ballyvorney uh, theft, 
was a prize bull. You'd want to be very brave, wouldn't you, to take on to start handling well, a bull? Well, Patricia, I'm not from the farming community, but I assure you, like you know, I certainly wouldn't know yeah. how to, how to handle an animal like that. So you would you would have to understand that it would probably be someone that understands animals that is used to dealing with animals on a daily basis that understands the dangers of a bull but I, like for someone that's not involved in the farm community they certainly would not have been involved in this incident yeah no. yeah yeah and are you in any way thinking that these thefts might have been linked Don? I, again Patricia we, we have, because of the, 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 the closeness of the two instances in a, a tight geographical area we can't say for sure Patricia but look we're of the belief that they're probably linked you know and you know, we can't say for sure, but again, we're fairly we're we're, we're very open minded that those yeah, two yeah. are linked, you know. Yeah, and I know one of the questions I asked Anya, and I actually said to her, "I hope this isn't a stupid question. Why do you know? Why do people steal cattle? What what happens to them? You know, what do you believe people take cattle for?" Brilliant question, Patricia. And I suppose we, the reason why we'd like to know the answers to that is we'd like to hear from the farming community themselves, of what is actually happening out there on the ground at this particular time. The Gardaí, at the moment, we do have a number of theories, but again, we want to hear from the people on the ground. We'd love to hear from the farming community to get in touch with us. And I'll, I'll give you the name of the, the, the detective sergeant who was dealing with that incident. He's Detective Sergeant Derek Mulcahy. He's based at Bantry Garda Station. And again, Bantry Garda Station is 27 he would love to hear from anyone within the farming community okay. to, to, to understand really and explain to us within Agarashikana what, what would be the purposes of taking those animals because, yeah. you know, it, it's too broad to know what's actually happening to those animals. We'd love to hear. There must be a reason. Are they being taken to order? That's what They're, one you know, listener is saying. I wonder, are these cattle being robbed to order? There must be people out there buying them. If so, shame on those people because if they are being robbed to order, it's people within the farming community and you'd hate to think that, uh, that they would do that. Uh, to uh, another member of their own uh, own industry, their own community. But again, it's, that is all uh, speculation. And then for farmers listening, Don, how do you prevent it happening? Again, it's like any other crime, Patricia. You try to make it as difficult as you can for these people, OK? Now, the first part of it, I suppose, would be to restrict access and you you mentioned it a little bit earlier yourself, Patricia. Like, are someone is is are there people going around into farmyards looking around, knowing what farmers have in particular sheds? So, you know, restrict access. It's awful to have to be putting up gates, to be locking gates. But unfortunately, in the short term, it is necessary. Make sure that the access to your farmland is restricted. Only the people that have a right to get to your farmland should be allowed on it. And unfortunately lock your gates, keep pull-up gates. It's very difficult. It's a shame that we have to be doing this in rural Ireland at this particular time. But in the short term, that's the strong advice we would get. Also, I suppose, you know, a lot of these farm sheds, they're in isolated rural areas. We would suggest that you put in sensitive movement lighting that activate if there's any movement within the farmyard. And also, unfortunately, that you have a CCTV system in those areas that when the lights are activated, the CCTV gets activated, you can see immediately what's happened in your in your um, isolated farmyards or sheds and contact the guards immediately. Okay, and have as, as good a CCTV system as uh, you can. Don, we leave it there. Thank you for that. 
And uh, Thank you very much, uh, Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is Garda Don Davis, who is the Junior Liaison Officer at Bantry at Garda Station. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. On issues we've been talking about on the programme this morning, Mary was listening to me chat with uh, Patrick Murphy on behalf of the fishermen and he's really worried that we're going to completely lose our fishing fleet. Decommissioning has uh, started and we're going to lose uh, you know, such a, such an important industry. We're an island nation. You know, fishing is such an important industry. Mary said it really is hard to hear that Irish people appear to be getting such a raw deal, be it with the fishermen and also our farmers and it looks like everywhere else too. And what a state our country is in now, says Mary. Something needs to be done for us, the Irish people. And then on dogs and dog attacks and do we need insurance on dogs? Somebody said, listening to your programme this morning about dogs, well I'm at my wits end with a dog coming into my garden and fouling all over my lawn. It's in the Island Road area of Newmarket. What can I do? And it sounds like that text it's one particular dog do you know who owns the dog? It's somebody obviously that's leaving their dog out roaming around the neighbourhood and for one reason they've identified your garden as a, a, a nice place to do uh, its business. Very frustrating indeed. Uh, has anybody come up with a solution? I mean other than trying to seal your garden so that the dog can't get in but maybe that's not, not uh, possible. Has anybody come up with a solution to a, a dog c- coming in and using a person's garden as their personal toilet how does our listener stop at any of your suggestions would be very welcomed and then Mary from North Cork says hi Patricia I am so disappointed listening to you this morning going on and on about dogs you would think that all dogs are monsters my god there are a lot of people out there who are a lot worse than any particular dog there are some pure monsters people that grab women out walking and pull them to the ground I'm a lady living on my own and my dog is my best friend not a monster and by the way it is a Rothweiler so please call this out I want to stop these people complaining about dogs like mine God they are making my blood boil human beings are bad people too evil out walking just waiting and watching to try to grab a handbag etc can we get rid of all of them the way some people want to get rid of my beautiful Rothrider and that's from Mary in uh, North Cork (laughs) yeah you see and that that is the danger you sound like a very responsible pet owner Mary and I'm sure that your beautiful Rotty is never out running around the neighbourhood is never in any danger of attacking anyone if ever whenever you have the dog out for a walk I'm sure you always have it on a lead you always have it muzzled so you're responsible but unfortunately there are other people who own similar dogs to yours who are not responsible likewise there are evil people out there but not everybody is is evil uh, so there's always the danger when we you know something happens like a dog attack or when even when you know the situation that happened in Killarney for example with the asylum seekers there's the danger is that all dogs we we deem all dogs to be dangerous or we deem all asylum seekers uh, to be dangerous and it's it's just unfair it's it's unfair but if you're a responsible pet owner which you sound like you are Mary you have absolutely nothing to uh, worry about Hi Patricia I thought that was uh, a great opinion piece by one of your listeners in suggesting that the microchip number is included when we renew our dog licence that's from Catherine Catherine thinks that's a good suggestion but what we're trying to find out is how many dogs are actually licensed in this country because the problem is 
that you don't have people you, again you're not going to have uh, people who are not going to be respons- responsible pet owners the ones that leave their dogs run run riot around a neighbourhood they're not going to be the ones that are going to go in and get a dog licence unfortunately Hi Patricia on the topic of dogs I have two pet dogs both licensed both microchipped on leads whenever we are off site but there are people out there in our own area where I live and local people who have packs of dogs then they release them out into the countryside no way to control them it is disgraceful for our wildlife for our children for our other pets my brother-in-law for example has a farm he spent hours recently trying to gather up cattle and calves that have been chased off the land by a pack of dogs when will this practice be banned you should not be allowed to keep packs of dogs anymore and you certainly shouldn't be allowed to release them freely onto somebody else's land thanking you thank you for that whatsapp hi patricia my friend now this one surprised me my friend found two stray dogs they were with her for a night and she knew that they obviously they were much loved pets so she said she'd look after them for the night and then she went to a local vet the next day who wanted 60 euro in order to read the microchip now luckily a vet in a neighboring town read the microchips for free they were microchipped by the way and the owners were found I've never heard of that before I, I always thought that that was a service that vets offered for offered for free because if all vets were charging people would be very slow to bring a stray dog in to have the microchip uh, read I'm really really taken aback uh, by that 0818 103 103 that's some of your thoughts coming in on dogs and then a listener says Patricia do you know or can you please research for me the new rent credit that was introduced in last year's budget with regards to its implications, if any? Implications, what implications would be towards landlords who have property registered with the PRTB? I want to apply for it, but not at the cost of the landlord, which in turn would increase my uh, rent. Now, I, I haven't heard of anyone applying for the rent credit who then subsequently discovered that their rent went up, but we'll put it out there to see if that has happened. And I can't see any reason as to why your rent would go up because you're applying for the free tax credit that was introduced. It, was, it officially came in on the 15th of uh, December and you actually can claim income tax credit for rent payments that you made right across last year, 2022. So there's no way a landlord could come back and then up your rent for last year on the tax credit that you have uh, claimed and the amount of credit it's 20% of whatever rent you paid in the year 2022 and it's up to a maximum of 500 euro for an individual or 1000 for a couple who are jointly uh, assessed and once your landlord your landlord must be registered with the residential uh, tenancy uh, board which I'm assuming from what you're saying uh, your landlord is and then it's you apply I mean your landlord doesn't get involved at all you have to apply I mean the easiest way to apply for the tax credit is to go online to mygov.ie to, and you sign into my account you go to the PAYE section and then you review your tax um, for 2019 to 2022 you select 2022 and uh, you apply for the income tax relief that way and then you get your tax back so you know when you do it that way it's you are applying for the tax credit your landlord isn't even aware that you applied I mean he may he or she may already believe that you've applied for it so it's nothing to do with the landlord the landlord isn't informed that you have received 
your and you've applied for your rent credit. So I don't think in any way, there, it certainly isn't a cost to the landlord. So, so the knock-on effect is there's no reason that your rent would increase just because you've applied for the rent credit. But off you go and apply, as I say, could be worth up to €500 Euro for you, which um, in today is, is a lot of money with all of our bills and the cost of living and everything going up. And then staying on everything going up, Heidi says, Morning Patricia, I see oil prices are down on the world market. So why are fuel prices still so high? Somebody's got to be making a profit. Also, gas prices are down. So should our energy bills not also now start to fall? We can't keep paying higher prices because of what they keep saying is the problem with the war in Ukraine. Also, look at the government and the huge profit in taxes they made on us. That was announced yesterday. Well, the huge profit in taxes, that's the money that goes back into the exchequer, Heidi. That's the money that is helping with the cost of living supports, uh, etc. And it certainly was a good day at the office for the Minister of Finance uh, yesterday uh, with the news of bumper tax receipts were recorded right across last year. The Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, said the coalition wouldn't commit, though, to an extension on any of the cost of living supports. And that was despite the fact that the the state recorded a five billion euro surplus with exchequer returns last year surpassing a hundred billion euro. And that's the first time that our exchequer returns have ever surpassed the 100 billion euro mark. So it certainly was a good day at the office for everybody in the Department of Finance. Michael McGrath, of course, who is our new finance minister, said extending any, and of course, that's the, the, the money that comes in, particularly the surplus, that is the, t- the money that they are using for the various cost of living supports. He said that extending the supports will come at a cost, uh, but now, because of what has come in over last year, it is one that the state at least can afford. He said the government does have flexibility, but then he said there are consequences. If you use that flexibility on certain items, it means you have less flexibility in other areas but he said the government will inevitably face calls right across this year to make interventions in a whole wide range of areas. So he's been kind of, I think, cautious more than anything to say we're not going to blow it all. We're going to keep some in reserve. Now, the main measures, of course, that are going to expire on cost of living uh, are is at the end of next month. The VAT and the excise duty and the temporary business energy support schemes, they're all ending at the end of February combined they cost 2.2 billion will they extend it they have the money to extend it if they feel the need that that's what they have to do now the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar he has always been pledging that there won't be a cliff edge when the uh, supports expire at the end of February so they're not going to end completely whether they'll taper them off or whether they extend it we'll have to wait and see but we have both Michael McGrath and of course the Public Expenditure Minister Pascal Donoghue both reluctant at this stage to commit to any extension until there's more data available and Heidi is making a good point oil prices are down fuel prices while I accept Heidi you're right they're still high but they certainly have fallen compared to say what they were 
six months ago so they are falling will they fa- fall further hopefully they will so it's things like that the, 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 the finance ministers definitely will be watching Michael McGrath pointed to that r- recent fall actually in the wholesale oil and gas prices and he said that that is expected to feed into a slowdown in the consumer price later now it will be later this year but that of course is going to ease pressure on uh, households he says we do think we are at our we're at or we're very close to the peak of inflation at this point and that certainly is good news now a lot of the backbench TDs were out straight away pushing for the government to ensure that those hit by high energy costs are protected particularly over the coming months I was reading that one Fianna Fáil backbencher uh, Brendan Smith he was saying look the good exchequer figures are welcome and they will enable the government to continue much needed supports for households and for businesses and he says that hopefully energy costs will reduce but in the event of continued or additional pressure on family budgets due to any kind of international events then he said the government will need to keep supports under review and I suppose in particular when he's talking about energy costs what he's talking about there uh, the latest of the 200 euro electricity credit that has got into most people's accounts since the start of January there's one more to come in another two months uh, time and if energy prices keep going the same way they're going there now looks like there is money there that they can give further 200 euro credits if needs be, if needs be, if electricity prices don't start to come down. And then looking, I mean, it was jaw dropping looking at the money that came into the Exchequer uh, yesterday. The overall revenue now that includes uh, taxes and capital resources. It had gone up 8.7% compared to the previous year and as I say it did break that 100 billion euro mark. The total tax take for last year was 106.7 billion euro. Now jobs growth and wage increase they added more than 4 billion that was on the income tax take last year compared to 2021 it increased 15% year on year but of course there's more people out of work and more people are getting higher wages which means more people are paying higher taxation and then the corporation tax uh, receipts for the year they were up 7.3 billion to 22.6 billion and they actually corporation tax overtook VAT as the second highest revenue source for the state Uh, the government though considers at least 10 billion of the corporation tax receipts to be uh, once off or windfall uh, resources which means they're not going to be there next year so therefore if you took that 10 billion out instead of a 5.2 surplus we'd actually have a 5.2 deficit so they're being cautious around that uh, as well but certainly it is a very very good news story and it does mean there's, they've got leeway if things go wrong. Now, I mean, let's hope, let's hope that Minister Michael McGrath is right and that, that we're at close to the peak, if not at the peak, of inflation, which means, therefore, if we're at the peak, it'll start to decrease and that should make cost of living for everyone should see prices uh, go down. But if it doesn't and if something else happens and it goes the other way, at least we know that there is money there to help people out with cost of living uh, if we get another cost of living crisis. 0818 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 
103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now, Blarnian District Historical Society is presenting Richard Forrest with an illustrated lecture entitled Brieflets from Blarney 1923. It is happening tonight at 8 o'clock in Blarney Secondary School. All are welcome. And Kildallery Community Development are holding their weekly lotto draw. That's on this afternoon at 4 in the community office. Now the jackpot is €6,700 and books for their home bingo are on sale at the post office centre and the community office. They're also in Myers Maxall in Mitchellstown and this week's snowball prize for home bingo is 300 a euro. Uh, social dancing is on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic. That's on Friday night, Nulligdama. It's on from 9 p.m. until 12 midnight. Bingo is on in Mallow GAA Complex uh, also on Friday night at 8.15. And there's bingo in the store in Kildallery Community Yard also on tomorrow night, Friday. Jackpot 1,260. Somebody sent in a text wondering, was there anything in Mallow for to celebrate Nulligdama? this Friday night and I don't know we've nothing on our community diary for this Friday night but I do know there's a very special event which will celebrate Nulligman just a day later on Saturday the 7th of January and it's a night of music and entertainment it's been organised by the Mallow GAA Ladies uh, Committee at the GAA Complex on Saturday night admission 15 euro which does include finger food and there'll be a raffle of the, on the night with proceeds going to the National Children's Ambulance Service. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie And still getting in uh, texts about dogs and stray dogs and dogs wandering around off the lead. Anne says um, Patricia, that vet who tried to charge that lady, by the way, who found the two dogs and looked after the dogs for the night and just wanted the chip read and was looking for 60 euro to read the uh, the chip that vet should be named in shame says Anne because they could, the, the lady got a vet in a neighbouring town then who did it for free I mean I, I've never heard of vets uh, charging for that uh, before anyway uh, uh, Anne says I also see a lot of people leaving their, leaving their dog off the lead when they take the dog out for a run and then they'll run up to people like me whose dogs are on a lead I have one particularly old dog who suffers very badly with arthritis and she has ended up having to get pins in her back leg. Now, if one of these boisterous dogs who just come along thinking they're playing with the dog, if they jump on her, they can actually hurt her because of the arthritis and the pins in her back legs. Many times, says Anne, I've asked them, please, would you put your dog on a lead? And they can get rather annoyed with me. When I explain to them why, because of my elderly dog with the arthritis and the pins in uh, her back legs, they say, oh, you shouldn't have a dog out like that then. And I say, no, you shouldn't have your dog off the lead. And that's signed to Anne, Anne, who is an animal lover. Happy New Year to all and many happy returns. And it, it's shocking, isn't it, when, when somebody goes to, just to point out to somebody, look, my dog, you know, can't cope with the boisterous nature of your dog. Would you think, I'd be apologetic straight away and I'd be dragging Fido back saying, leave that older dog alone. But actually turn around and say, 
you shouldn't have your dog out on a lead. It's just not so queer as folk, as my late mother would have said. Hi, Patricia. I think that was a great solution and suggestion about the dog licence being in some way linked to the microchip. But I would go even further and you could have your vaccine card in some way linked to the microchip. So have a lot more information contained on the microchip on the dog, not just the owner's name and address, but maybe put all the details of their vaccines on it as well. It would be a job well done, says this particular texter. Thank you for that. Hi, Patricia. I am a resident of the Goulds Hill area of Mallow. It is turned into a drop off point for dogs not needed by their owners anymore. There are dogs, all stray dogs all over the estate here. Uh, are there any dog wardens patrolling the area? There's about five or six loose dogs around the uh, estate. Like the owners, they have no responsibility. Well, I would suggest putting a call into the dog warden at Cork County Council and make them aware that you reckon these dogs are strays and it's shocking to think that they have been uh, dumped. I'd be getting on to the dog warden because if they genuinely have been dumped, the dog warden certainly will, will respond. But let them know our problem that we have is we don't have enough dog wardens and they do the best that they can in, you know, if they don't know what's going on in a particular area. Uh, they're not going to know about it. So I, I will be saying, let them know. Hi, Patricia, you were talking about rent uh, credit uh, earlier. I was because I was trying to do a bit of research for a listener who was worried about applying for their rent credit and fearful that their rent will go up. And there's nothing that I can't see any any reason as to why your rent would go up because your landlord won't even know if you've applied for the tax credit. It's like a landlord isn't going to know anything about your tax returns. It's up to individuals to apply for it. Somebody said just to point out to claim that rent uh, credit, the tenancy must be registered with the PRTB. Yeah, and I, I thought I mentioned that. I thought I said that because in the initial commentary from the listener who asked me to check it out, she mentioned that the landlord is re- is registered with the, the PRTB uh, and the rules for the, your tenancy must be registered with the Residential Tenancy Board unless it's a type of tenancy where this is not required and that's called a licensed arrangement and that includes, you know, like um, a rent a room or digs arrangement. You can still claim back on that but obviously those those that landlord wouldn't be registered with the regis- Residential uh, Tenancy uh, Board and if you're related to your landlord the tenancy must be registered with the Residential uh, Tenancy Board and of course they also changed the rules when they initially spoke about this rent tax credit, when they spoke about it in the budget, we started getting a number of calls in from listeners who were paying the rent on behalf of a son or daughter who's in third level education and people were wondering initially they couldn't claim but they changed the rules uh, on it and uh, for a property for for somebody who's paying rent on behalf of their son or daughter they are also eligible the the a course that is eligible for tax relief on third level fees um it's a property used by your child to take part in an approved course if they're under 23 at the start of the first year so they are able to apply for that uh, as well anyway and can i suggest all this information that i am relaying to you I, it's not stored in my head wish that it was uh, all the information is available on citizensinformation.ie who are a mine of information uh, and they literally have all of the information including giving you a step-by-step detail of how you claim the tax credit for rent paid in 2022 by going on my my account on gov.ie all of the information is there this is the court today replay on c103 
final uh, text. Somebody wants, Jill wants to point out that the price of a cylinder gas is not the same everywhere and people really do need to shop around. Recently, Jill says, I paid 39 euro in one uh, shop and then 35 euro in another establishment. So shop around if you're buying cylinders of gas. They certainly are varying in price. And on dogs off the lead, uh, when people are out walking, Paul in Dungarvan says, Patricia, many a day I've gone for a relaxing walk with my dog and I've come home absolutely fuming after a dog off its lead has attacked my dog, which is on a lead. And please don't get me started on people not picking up after their dogs. Another issue altogether. Thank you for that. Let's stay on the issue of animals uh, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, joins uh, joins me from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Ministry Veterinary Group. A happy New Year to you, Jane. And many happy returns to you, Patricia. How are you keeping? I, I'm very well. And you got over Christmas okay? I did indeed. I had lots of lovely time off. So did you? Uh, I'm feeling very refreshed now. Happy to get back to clinics. And the other vets in the practice, do they have a quiet time or a busy time? Oh, variable. Was it? <laughs> um, there's always a few Christmas-associated emergencies. Um, so it's, it's never totally quiet. But I don't think as years go, it doesn't sound like it was too bad a one. Great. Um, so and is it, the, is it the usual, the dog or the cat eating something that they shouldn't have eaten? Yeah. 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 Come oh, on, no, every, every single year. Yeah. And that's the, the main thing we see now. There's always place for other emergencies. It's not like Christmas turns on and it's only food-related emergencies. We get all of the usual emergencies that sadly we'd have with pets being unwell out of hours still happen. We do see a general shift to them eating naughty things that they shouldn't be yeah. eating and not feeling the better for it. Yeah, and they'll dig it out no matter how well you try and hide it. OK, let's get straight into questions. And one listener says, please don't read out my name because I don't want my family to know what's going on. But I took in a little kitten. It was during the cold snap before Christmas. I started to notice there was something wrong with its skin and it turned out to be mange. I ended up getting a wash from the vet. Now, I'm assuming from the text that that cleared up. But now, says the listener, I'm worried sick. Can you pick up mange yourself? I've discovered my arms are very itchy with scaly skin. Could I have caught this from the little kitten, even though I was very diligent when it came to hand hygiene, etc. Please don't call out my name as I don't want my family uh, to know. Can mange pass from a, a cat to a human? Uh, not commonly, but certain types can. So it's not something we encounter very frequently, but what I would say is, I suppose, first and foremost, well done for taking in that little kitten. It sounds like it's landed on its feet and I'm really happy you've got some treatment for it and it's it's settled down. But I I think it would be best in this situation, given that you know that you've been in contact with an animal with parasites. However careful we are, there is always a risk. Now, it's not a common one that will transfer. There are other ones, for example, ringworm, a fungal disease that is really, you know, when when you have it in a pet, you're almost guaranteed that you may get the associated human. But mange is not one that we encounter so frequently. But that said, I would suggest I suppose, like like I would say to myself, if I had any any similar signs, having been in contact with pets with skin disease or or any of our clients that would have pets that have problems, I'd say if in doubt, check with your doctor. Yeah, let and just them know the situation. Yeah, and let and them know that so you, you have been in contact. Please God, it won't yeah. be. And keep us informed, please. I'd be very interested to see how you get on. Uh, Mary says, uh, "Hi, uh, Jane. Question, please. What's the best treatment for tapeworms? Uh, in my cat has just vomited this morning after food." and it contains long white worms. Now, I've tried treating her with a tablet previously, but she simply will not ingest a tablet. Is there any spot-on treatment I can 
get. Is that is that tapeworm it is? Um, if it's long white worms. So if you think about our classic, let's say, the closest thing we'd have in, in normal life is earthworms. So if you imagine they're kind of long, slender creatures, they will be the equivalent of roundworms, which are by far and away the most common worm that we would see in dogs and cats. But tapeworm slightly different. Tapeworm can be, it's almost long, long strings of grains of rice. They're more segmented. So they have these, these little sections to them. So they're a little bit different. Now, it could be either is the case. And cats, certainly, particularly those that are avid hunters outside, um, can can get both or one one of those. I would suggest if you've tried giving a tablet before, that, that's normally what I'd suggest is the first protocol. But making sure that the tablet that you've given is one you've got from the vet or the pharmacist. So we know that those products are kind of tested. So we know that they're effective and safe. Um, but if tableting your pet is not an option, and I can understand and I, I empathise with you here because I've got a cat myself who is not fond of being tableted at all. It's not an easy task. Have a chat with your vet. It may be that if they hold it in stock or they may be able to order it in for you, there are a certain amount of very specific spot-on products that will do both type of worms, so roundworms and tapeworms. Now, tapeworm, just due to the nature of the ingredients that are needed to treat and prevent it, it's not something that's in our normal spot-ons the vast majority of the time. It is something a little bit different, but there is there is a product on the market. I think there's a few of them. I think the one that we, we're aware of is, is, is something called Profender, but it's the spot-on that just does worms. It doesn't do any of the external parasites. But have a chat with your vet about the situation. It may be even as simple as bringing your pet to the vet, and they may be able to ask one of the nurses or, or the vet themselves to tablet the pet for you. Just have a chat with them, discuss the, the situation, but it definitely sounds like if we're vomiting up worms, definitely sounds like we need to get in there with treatment for this little pet. And it won't go away itself? No, it won't no. go away itself. No. Definitely okay. needs treatment. All right, Dennis has a 12-year-old, Jack Russell. His back, his back legs have gone very weak of late and now he's shaking when he stands up. Is there anything I, as I can do because I'm fearfully maybe in pain? Okay, so yeah, with these older with these older pets, you know, like like ourselves, the joints become a little bit creakier over time, and sometimes things like osteoarthritis, discomfort in the joints may set in. Now, there's a number of things that could be going on with your pet if it's weakness and shaking of the limbs. Sometimes and most commonly, it can be weakness and discomfort associated with joint pain or bone pain. So it's really important to get that checked out for your vet because there is by your vet because there is actually pl- plenty we can do in many cases to make them feel a lot more comfortable. Um, the weakness that you're seeing can sometimes be a side effect of them walking less over time because they're painful. So sometimes it can be something that's slow and insidious and onset, but it may not be necessarily something that's easily noticed at home. Now there are some less but slightly more unusual things to do with the way the nerves control the back legs. Um, and the strength within them that can happen in older age as well and that's a little bit different what I would say is well done for noticing this in your pet I think you're right to be concerned I'd visit your vet let them know what's happening let them know that they're shaking when they're standing there's a lot of weakness in the limbs and try and take note of how exercise tolerant they are how are they coping with their walk if they are up to them and do they get tired and stiff at various points of the day and feed that back to your vet they'll do a full physical exam and they'll take it from there and discuss the options that they because 12 for Jack Russell, is that that's even an, old, an older dog? It's, it's, we would class it as geriatric, so okay. older. 
but certainly I've seen Jacks go for, for for a fair few years longer than that. But that will be getting getting kind of into the into twilight years, certainly. So okay. it's definitely worth taking care of. All right, but help help is available. That's that's yeah. the, the main message. Okay, now uh, Barbara wants to know how soon would Jane recommend introducing a new dog into the family following the death of a much loved uh, pet just before Christmas? Our second dog still appears to be pining, but the problem is our second, the younger dog, isn't a very sociable dog with other dogs. She's a five-year-old Bichon, neutered Bichon Freeze. The older dog who was 14 was a collie dog. Would we get a similar large dog or would Jane recommend another Bichon Freeze? And how soon after the loss of the other dog? I think she's thinking with the Bichon Freeze seems to be pining for the collie dog. Mm-hmm. I would certainly say every situation is different. Having lost pets myself, I think there is always a, a temptation, particularly if you have a pet left behind and their little buddy has passed away. There's a temptation to try and fill that gap for them with it with a new pet. But it's really, really important that you take some time for yourself to grieve the loss of your pet, but also similarly for your pet to have time to grieve. And we do see that when they, they pine, you know, it's very similar to what we perceive as human grief, but it's impossible to ask them to know. Um, but what I will say is I there's no cut and dried answer on this. My own personal opinion is I will be in favour of giving it a few months at least before you'd consider getting a new pet, even if your pet is pining. Because, you know, if they have a, a new introduction to the house, particularly if they're not super social themselves and they're still grieving their old friends, that, you know, that's a lot going on for them all at once. So you want them to be kind of finding their feet again before you introduce a new pet into the household. With that pet being not particularly social, that's a challenging situation. Um, A very slow introduction, whatever breed you get, will be the best thing to do. I would say as regards a large or small dog, it's difficult to know how they will adapt. Sometimes it's not the size, it's the personality of the new pet. Um, So it really is a difficult one. What I will say is, you know, perhaps if you have an older dog introducing a puppy into that situation, particularly if they're not particularly social, might be slightly difficult because puppies tend to really not have great social boundaries with other dogs. That's something they learn over time. So it may be it may be worth considering getting an older pet and um, matching kind of the, the lifestyle of your own pet. So from that perspective, I'd say consider rehoming. And mm. um, there's plenty of brilliant rehoming centres out there. The ISPCA or, or national or national ISPCA do a really, really great job. So it will be worth considering rehoming in this situation, I think. But look, if you have a heart set on a pup, I would say a very gentle introduction, but perhaps an older pet to match the Bichon might be a good idea. OK, and very finally, when you're talking about pet joints and, and pain in, in uh, a listener said for pet joints, there's a great supplement called Arthrex. It's available online. Has Jane heard of it? Oh, there's a number of different ones. Now, off the top of my head, I the name rings a bell, but exactly what's in that particular one, I couldn't swear on it. That said, it is worth, I suppose, considering there are a number of joint supplements on the market. Have a chat with your vet because you always want it to be a pet safe one. Um, and generally, they'll contain things like glucosamine and chondroitin, very much like the joint supplements that you or I might take. For adults, really yeah, for humans, to, yeah. And yeah, what, what, really age, what age would you start introducing those supplements? Uh, varies depending on the breed middle to latter age but what i will say is the biggest thing that i see with pets coming in already on these joint supplements is please don't expect them to control their pain so if they already have joint disease it's the cherry on top in their management plan but it doesn't replace 
proper pain relief from yeah. your vet. So just make sure that you have that cover before you consider okay. it. Okay, mind of information as always has a good week and we'll chat to you next week, Jane. Thank you for that. You too. Thank you. Good Patricia. afternoon, Jane Pickett, the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Nick Witcher for the afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Cleona Hagan to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am with Virtue Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow, where residents are at the heart of everything they do. Irish Sunday on C103. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.